Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals, or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Berrin region of South Australia. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Thank you so much for joining me today on another episode of the Art of Being a Mum podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here wherever you are all around the world. As I record this, it is the final week of school holidays here in South Australia. We've had six weeks and I'm ready to go back to work and my kids are ready to go back to school. And I think most of you, if not all of you in South Australia or Australia, probably feeling the same way. It's been a long six weeks. My guest this week on the podcast is Alicia Burns. Alicia is a podcaster and author based in Melbourne, Australia, and she's a solo mum by choice to her daughter, Lexi. Alicia was born in New Zealand, but she moved to Australia eight years ago. After getting married, going through a stressful IVF journey and then experiencing a pregnancy loss, Alicia's marriage broke down. She spent the next six years searching for Mr Right on all the dating apps and even moving countries. It was during a time of great loss for her family that Alicia made the realisation that what she was looking for wasn't actually a husband, it was to become a mother. Alicia then began the journey of having her own daughter, Lexi, using a donor. After appearing as a guest on another podcast for Solo Mums by Choice, Alicia became inspired to not only share her own story, but of those who had also experienced this journey, and also to make available resources and information for those thinking of taking on this path. Thus began the No Need for Prince Charming podcast and online community. Alicia is also an author with her book, My Perfect Family, available now. Her book aims to normalise the language around families, that all kinds of families are perfect no matter how they are made up, and that all children are really just the same. This episode contains mentions of IVF and pregnancy loss. I hope you enjoy today's chat. Thank you so much for coming on, Alicia. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So whereabouts are you? I can detect a bit of an accent. Are you in Australia or New Zealand? I'm in Australia. I'm in Port Melbourne. I've been here coming up eight years. So there's still, I think it's ease, I can't say properly, apparently. But <laughs> a lot of the time people don't pick it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bit of a thing for accents. I really love um imitating and doing accents so it's like I'm really I like listening to how people talk and how they shape their mouth when they talk so yeah don't take it personally it's not (laughs) I'll still pretend that most people can't tell I'll go with that yeah cool oh dear so whereabouts were you born where where did you grow up so I grew up in Wellington and I moved over here when I was 35 Mm -hmm. um but yeah, spent most of my life in Wellington. It's it for a little stint uh, in Palmerston North when I went to uni, and that was it. But otherwise, yeah, Wellington for most of my life. Yeah, you are a podcaster. Can you share with us yeah. what uh, what your podcast is about and how it, it all came about? So my podcast is interviewing Australian women who have decided to take motherhood into their own hands by having a child using donor conception. So it's called No Need for Prince Charming and basically plan A didn't work out or maybe that was never your plan A, you just didn't want a partner and you've gone on to, to have a child alone. 
it was inspired because that's the journey that I've ended up having to take. It's been a long road to get to that point, but at 38, I decided to have a child on my own because plan A wasn't working out. Mm -hmm. So this will hopefully help inspire and empower other women who are considering this journey because that's something I wish I had when I was uh, going through it. Mm, Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly a lot more common than I think people realise. It's, I mean, personally, I've known, I mean, I'm only, my town's only got, say, 30,000 people. Um, And I know two people, like friends of mine that that have taken that journey. And um, I'm sure there are so many more, but we just don't hear about it. So yeah, like having having the podcast and the and you're very active on your Instagram, um, sharing the stories and sharing experiences, and I think that's really important. Well, I think going into it, I knew one person that I worked with who had done it, but I didn't really know her to have a proper open conversation about it, and I had a definite perception in my mind about who does this sort of journey so Mm -hmm. I was very big on um, joining the Instagram community and finding a lot of other like-minded women and then once I started the podcast I was just blown away by the variety of people and the variety of ways and stories that they've had to go through it but at the end of the day they all tend to be very strong very determined women so I'm Mm -hmm. building an amazing village of uh, incredible women surrounded with which is fantastic. The, the reasons that that mothers decide to do this, are they, what sort of reasons? Are they very varied reasons? Uh, so for, for quite a few, it's just they've tried, they've internet dated, they've been married, they've had relationship failures, whatever else, and they just get to the point where they just haven't found the right partner to have a child with. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I'm divorced. I went through a pretty, pretty rough time. Um, I went through three years of infertility a lot of IVF and ended up unfortunately my son was stillborn and and after that my marriage didn't survive and what was it six years later I still hadn't met anyone I even tried moving countries to see if I could find my elusive prince charming I've done all the dating sites I've done everything but just nothing close to a relationship so the day my dad died was actually the day I decided to do this I thought what was most important to me was finding a partner, but actually what was most important was having a mother. And I'm glad that it happened when it did. Otherwise it could have been too late. Um, And yeah, and now I have my beautiful little Alexandra and having a partner is probably the last thing on my mind at the moment. I don't know how he'd fit in, to be honest, (laughs) but my life feels so full and I feel so content and just feel how I was always meant to be. So if anyone else is in the same situation where motherhood is the most important thing to them rather than compromise or do something slightly dodgy like doing a one night stand or something Mm. there are other options nowadays and it is a lot easier than it used to be yeah um on that are there particular sort of rules in different states in australia about accessing um the treatment or the procedures to to get pregnant by yourself yeah, so all states are different, of course. There was mm-hmm. one thing that really surprised me about Australia. And yeah. so I'm in Victoria, which is one of the most regulated in Australia. You basically can only use clinic recru- recruited sperm. So every donor will be um, based in Victoria themselves. They are starting to to tweak the rules a little bit that they might be able to do overseas sperm, but it does mean that each individual clinic has to recruit its own donors and it can be quite hard for them to do that. So you might have, especially after the pandemic, people are finding very hard to get access to sperm. So whereas yeah. I had a choice of, I think, 30 and 14 of which were Caucasian and I wanted my daughter to look like me, so I wanted a Caucasian donor. So I could have like a, a fun party with my girlfriends and have champagne and, you know, I made sperm cookies and sperm bruschetta toasts and we <laughs> we went through all the profiles and, yeah. like, and, and then worked out which one we wanted. I cut out heads from magazines and we gave them names, you know, I made a really <laughs> big deal about it to try and make it really fun. Yeah, yeah. Women going through it today might have a choice of two if they're lucky. So it's a little yeah. bit different. So any men, if you're listening and you would consider <laughs> being a donor, please go and contact a clinic. And um, there's a definite need for it now. There are quite a few rules in regards to how many families can be created from a donor as well. So you would have probably yeah. potentially seen a lot of media, especially coming out of the States, you know, there's donors that have got hundreds and hundreds of children all around the world. In Victoria, you can only give to 10 families. So 
Yeah. Potentially there are nine other families that my daughter has um, half siblings created and they can have unlimited children in that family, but it's only 10 families total. Yeah, right. There are other ways I suppose that you could go down this path um, using a known donor or there are some that aren't clinic recruited that are doing it through websites and that sort of thing. And you just have to be very careful if you are going to go down that route. It's just there are a lot of legal potential implications and other things that could come about. So the safest way is to go either with someone that you know and get the proper legal documentation or to do it through a clinic. So also in Victoria, there's a a governing body, I guess you call it, called VATA, and they look after managing all of the donor donors and donor recipients. Mm -hmm. And then in the future, if my child wants to make contact with her donor, they'll help manage that for us because you can't actually be an anonymous donor anymore. So right. you have to be what's called an ID release. So when the child turns 18, they can get access to contact you. Mm. I was actually going to ask about that. Like what's the ramifications down the track if if a child decides they'd like to meet their, their biological father? Yeah, right. That's really interesting. With Barter as well, they do counselling and things before you meet the donor. So they help mm-hmm. facilitate that contact in the first place. And then they do counselling for yourselves, your child and the donor before those meetings happen as well. So everyone's going into it in the best frame of mind to get the best mm. out of it. A lot of donors will say that they are open to contact before the child is 18 as well, if the child wishes that. So that's something you can pursue again through VATA. And I think all states are different, but I think Victoria is the best for, for that sort of support, which is great for us because we live here. So. Yeah, absolutely. And is there also screening or testing to make sure there's no genetic abnormalities or illnesses? Or Yeah, so it's actually quite a process if you're going through a clinic recruited donor. I think they have to have, they, they do a lot of blood tests and they do a donation and then they have to wait six months and they do another donation and do more health checks just to make sure nothing's changed in that time. And when you get the donor paperwork, when you're selecting which one you want, it's got the full family history in that as well. So if they had some sort of, they're a carrier for some sort of say chromosomal um, issue, potentially mm-hmm. they wouldn't be allowed to be a donor or it would be clearly displayed on their donor profile so you knew what you're getting into. Yeah. But you can see, you know, that your grandmother their grandmother had cancer or their father died of a heart attack, all of that sort of thing. So you've got the full medical history if you're going clinic recruited mm-hmm. that you can see exactly what you're getting yourself into because some people might have in their family a high chance of cancer, so they might want to avoid a donor that's got that as well to try and minimise and passing things on. So you get mm. a lot of information if you do the clinic recruited path. Yeah. Just another question. I'm finding this really interesting. Uh, <laughs> When when you get that the the little book to look through to see who you're choosing from, do they give you information on what they're like personally, like their traits and stuff like that? Like how much information do you, you receive about the donor? The mine's going back, what, three, four years now? <laughs> and things have changed a little bit. Yeah. But I got you get a list of the profiles with very simple information like their age, height. No, not the age, just their height, hair colour, eye colour nationality I think and then from that list you would narrow it down to the ones you want to get full profiles for mm-hmm. the full profiles then give the demographic demographic yeah information for the parents as well so you can see so I could sit there and do like my fifth form biology and go I've got brown eyes my dad had blue there's a chance <laughs> that you know and he, his mother had green so and it worked out because <laughs> you got hazel so <laughs> but you can do all that sort of thing but then also they answer some questions and then it's up to the donor really how much information they put in there. Some are very short answers, some are very long, but it can give you a bit of an indication about their personality. Mm-hmm. My donor specifically, when I read his profile, I was like, I know, or I feel like I know, if I met you in real life, we'd get on really well. We have very similar values. He was all about family and animals and mm-hmm. just the way he'd written his answers, I could have written that myself. So Yeah, right. And there's a, there's a wide variety. There's, you know, highly educated there are some concrete workers there's there's everything so there should be someone for for everyone because everyone has different Mm. tastes and what they're looking for but you do get quite a bit of information and since I what had my successful round for my daughter though they have changed things and they have a new sort of donor bank which they call Adam I went through City Fertility and that's that's who they use Mm-hmm. And when I rung up, because you can ring and find out if there are any siblings, you can't get much information. You can just know that there is one or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they had more information from him, including toddler photos. So I now have oh. toddler photos of my do- daughter's donor, which is really yeah. interesting because I always thought she was identical to my dad. Yeah. And then I saw the donor photo and it's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. 
So some some clinics give you a lot of information. I think if you're in other states, like particularly um, Western Australia, they use more um, American sperm banks and you get a lot of information. Some people even get recordings so they can hear the voice of the donor. So oh, wow. there is quite a bit that you get, but it's not quite like the movies where you're flicking through the books. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to go back a bit to um, obviously you went through the journey and you were compelled to share. Why did you choose podcasting? Like, are you do you have a background in like um, writing or have you done anything like this before? Or not really? No, I was actually asked to be a guest on a podcast. Um, a girl in America who runs a similar podcast called The Single Greatest Choice, and I did the first half of my episode the day before I got induced. No, the day I got induced, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then six months later, I did the follow-up to it. Yeah. So from that, then I sort of started listening to them. I hadn't really listened to podcasts a lot before that. I used to listen to kind of self-help motivational ones, maybe on my walk to work, but nothing mm-hmm. specifically to pregnancy or solo mum by choice. And then it just got me thinking. And I think I had her in the beginning of the pandemic so my first year of maternity leave was basically the two of us at home <laughs> couldn't leave yeah. the house more than an hour a day yeah and I didn't realize how much I would love being a mum and how much I became myself as a result and it just made me really want to help other women make that choice as well mm-hmm. the amount of women that I met who are a bit older than me were like I wish that had been an option or that I'd gone down that path I didn't want other people to be in that situation so I thought this is a resource that I could help create and what was most important was that there was an Australian voice for it because there were many podcasts around the world, but yeah. not specifically with an Australian voice. And, it, of course, every state's different, what you go through, mm. and just wanted to provide a variety of stories, but also give people hope. I have some people who got pregnant with their first IUI. I have mm. people who've had to go to South Africa to get egg donors as well. You know, there's a wide variety. So no mm. matter where you are on your journey or what you're contemplating, hopefully you can find a story you relate to. Mm. Well, that's fantastic. I, I think that's wonderful. more about your podcasting how did you find setting it up and and getting into it are you the sort of person that I was talking to someone else the other day about when they started their podcast and we're comparing our styles um do you need to have everything like organized ready to go before you do it or are you the sort of person that just does it and then sort of works things out as it comes up as you're going I think I watched quite a few YouTube videos that I found Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even know how to do the RSS feed or how it even got onto Spotify. So I just yeah. did a bit of Googling and research and I'd worked that much out and I was like, okay, so I need to get a website where I can do this all and then I need to find some guests and how am I going to record it? And mm-hmm. so just Googling again, I found some great YouTube content and just watched that and went, oh, yeah, Garage Band, sure. That's already <laughs> on my computer. Can't be that hard. Need a microphone. Okay, buy a microphone. And then I just put the call out on Instagram and just said, you know, if I was to do this, would anyone volunteer? And immediately I had, I think, 15 women go, yes. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I've, I've got the base. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah. I just backed myself. And the first one probably took the longest to record because that was my story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're always so critical of yourself and what you sound like and everything else. Yeah. And I think, honestly, one of the biggest surprises is people keep commenting on how nice my voice is. <laughs> like, never had that my whole life. They're like, I could listen to you for hours. You're so relaxing. I'm like, am I? Okay. <laughs> like my dad always told me off for talking too fast, so maybe maybe I've grown up with a microphone in front of me. I don't know. But, yeah. That's funny. And then, yeah, I just, I just winged it. I don't edit a lot of it. I have basically the same format for all and it seems to work. I have mm-hmm. 
some feedback along the way, which I've tried to incorporate. So making it less about pregnancy and more about the conception and then life. So yeah, mm-hmm. the same kind of format. Everyone kind of knows what's coming if they've listened to an episode. Yep. And just whatever they're talking about, I guess, which is probably the same for you. <laughs> yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, I, I find it's good. I like to have the the the, the rough idea of the, the way I do each episode. Um, same thing, people know what's coming. But then, yeah, wherever it goes, it goes. And I like that because I think people yeah. will talk about what they need to talk about. And same thing, I don't edit too much. I take out my blabbering if I <laughs> stumble over my words or I do a big cough or something. <laughs> but... Your daughter, how old is it, it, you? Call her Lexi. I've noticed on your Lexi on your um, Instagram. And, she and calls things. herself Alexandra, though, so oh, she probably does that. Yeah. <laughs> she was Alex to start with, but because yeah. she was had no hair for so long, even though she was wearing a lot of pink, everyone thought she was a boy. So <laughs> changed it. <laughs> My favorite Grey's Anatomy character, you know, it works. Oh, I loved. I was actually watching that this morning. <laughs> I've been rewatching oh. it, rewatching all the. Um, I think I'm rewatching it for like the fifth time. Yeah, it's oh. just so, such easy background noise when you're doing other things. Oh, it you is, know all the characters, you know, you know what's coming. So yeah, that's yeah. the thing. You you miss a little bit. You've you've sort of know where they're going to be at when you come back to it. They're not going to do anything dramatically yep. different. I'm actually I'm up to the what I don't even know what season it is now. I lose track. But Christina's just um like quit. And so Derek's taking her fishing and it's like this, oh, it's just hilarious. So anyway, so if I've spoiled I'm at the point where much. Christina and Burke are just about to get married. So oh. I think that's behind you, isn't it? Yeah, that that, that's, that's, that's a long time back, yes. But, no, it's it's really, I love that show. I never used to love it. I, I'd watched it because everyone else was watching it and I was like, oh, what's this? I better watch it. And then I sort of got off of it but now it's like you can watch everything on streaming I'm just sit there and watch it all day long if I could <laughs> and Shonda Rhimes is another solo mum by choice so there ah you there you go yeah who's about via adoption but yeah she has three kids by herself yeah another so there are a lot of inspiring very successful women who have gone down this path as well which I think mm. helps that's an interesting Rebel Wilson's uh, just done it Natalie yes Brilliant. yeah, yeah. There you go. And I think that um, can that be, I don't know, I was going to say it can be inspiring, but it's at the same time, could that make, I don't want to say normal people because we're all normal in some, you know what I mean, but non-celebrities <laughs> who have access to buckets of money, you know, you might think, well, they're doing it because they've got a nanny or, you know, that sort of thing. Like, so I guess it could go either way, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I made a reel a long time ago, which had a lot of the different celebrities that most people weren't even aware of had done it by themselves. Yeah, and I think it's just if you see a, a powerful, successful woman, and she has been able to have do it as well, because I don't know Hollywood romances don't seem to last very long, do they? But there are other options, and if they can do it, why can't we? Yeah, no, I think that's that's fantastic. Um, so how old's your daughter now? She will be three at the end of April. Fun times, three-year-olds. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I've been seeing your um, your journey with her giving up the dummy. That's been that has gone surprisingly well. Very glad, but now we're battling. I don't want to go to bed, oh. so, and now she's climbing out of her cot. And yep. yeah, what was it ten thirty last night? The night before it was ten, and in my bed, which I'm not overly keen on, but it also means that I'm not getting any time for me, which mm-hmm. I struggle with a bit mentally because that's that's when I have my creative time and and go after all my passion projects that I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you know what it's like with a two and a half year old if you're in the room. They need to be doing whatever you're doing, so it means you can't do anything for yourselves. Yeah, I had some yeah. really good routines previously. Yeah, yeah, they like to throw spanners in the works, don't they? They <laughs> do indeed. So I'm about to start recording the next season. It's like, how am I going to fit this in if you're not going to sleep? I don't want to just stick you in front of an iPad all night. It's not the best habit. So, hmm. Mm. Hopefully, we can get that sorted in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was going to ask, like, how what when do you fit in doing the things that you like to do? So when when she's in bed, you you just go to go to work. <laughs> so I get up at five in the morning now. Oh wow! So I have two 
two to two and a half hours to myself in the morning. And most of that, the last year has been spent on either the podcast or my book. But this year I need to start prioritizing my health. So I'm going to try and make it. So I'm doing some exercise in that time as well before I move on to the passion projects. So yeah, right. Yeah. And then I used to be able to do it when she went to bed at seven and that gave me a few hours at night as well. But yeah, that's not going to work if she goes to bed at 10. So (laughs) hopefully I can get that fixed soon. So your book, I'm guessing that's about your journey and your experiences. No. No? Okay. No. Tell me what My it's about. Is, it's actually an illustrated children's book. Oh. And it's trying to bring awareness and, and normality to the language associated with donor conception. So it's showing that that all families are beautiful and perfect no matter how they're made and that yeah. all kids are just the same as everyone else. So there, I think there's 12 families in it and I've got everything, same-sex families, divorced families, widower and solo mum by choice and just normalising the language. So, you know, with the same-sex family, they had um, their child as a result of a surrogate or mm-hmm. it's written better than that. But And then with me, it's um, with the help of a donor. So just normalising that language that ideally kids will get to the stage where they say, oh, Lexi doesn't have a dad, she has a donor, and not think anything more of it. It's just mm. pass away comment and just completely normalised. So. That's yeah, awesome. I'm just waiting for my first print run to arrive. Really excited. Oh, hoping. congratulations. That's so exciting. So did you did you illustrate as well? You No. No. Okay. <laughs> you give me another surprise. <laughs> that was probably the hardest part out of all of it. So when you were asking before how I went about doing the podcast, this was something I've had ideas about writing books for, oh, my God, I don't know how long. I've started my memoir probably about 50 times yeah, and never right. done it. But then I had the idea of doing a children's book. And then this idea kind of came to me that there's nothing really in the market that normalizes that language. I think my target market is, shall we call air quotes, normal, traditional families. Mm -hmm. So then if they've got, you know, little Sammy comes to school and he's got two dads, how do I explain that to my child? Here's a book that just shows you all that and makes it really normal and really fun. So um, a woman that I'd met through Instagram had published some donor conception books, which are more targeted to couples who've had to use donor eggs or sperm or have done it by themselves and that talks more for the child about how they were conceived and I didn't want to do another book like that because there are a few out there but I had a really good conversation with her to understand exactly what she went through and then I got over that whole paralysis of how and I had a clear plan okay this is what I need to do to get it the words were probably the easy part (laughs) it was finding an illustrator that was the hardest yeah and I went through a few through on Fiverr and everything else. And I ended up putting a call out on LinkedIn and Instagram to see if anyone knew anyone. Mm-hmm. And then I got recommended my my beautiful illustrator through that. Um, she's got a friend that's actually a solo mum by choice that was following me. And yeah. so then I got in contact with her. And, oh, my God, I loved the process. Like both her and I miss it because, like, every day yeah. she'd be drawing different pictures and we'd be having calls on it and going, oh, what about doing this and these changes and tweaks? And, mm-hmm. and she learned a lot on the process as well. She's comes from a very traditional family construct. Her husband's a detective. She's got three kids. She lives in small town, Victoria, you know, yeah. very different from the world that she was she was illustrating. But yeah. she managed to take the pictures out of my head onto paper and I just love the result. And the collaboration that we did to do it as well was just a really beautiful process. So oh, fantastic. Yeah. So what did you call the book? My Perfect Family. Yeah, right. I love that. So when will people be able to get their hands on it? So pre-orders are open now and I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for the first print run to arrive. Um, so, yeah, you can order it now. And by the time the podcast comes out, I'm sure you, it'll be in my hot little hands and I'll be sending it out and spending my nights fighting a toddler to package up books. But, you know, that's okay. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you've got a website. What's your website called? It's myperfectfamilybook.com. Beautiful. All right. I'll put a hyperlink in the show notes for people to click away on. Oh, well done. That's fantastic. I work in um, early childhood education. So I've worked in um, childcare, long daycare setting for nine years and now I work in kindergartens. And I'm really amazed by 
I want to say the quality of children's books and then the not quality of children's books. There are some mm. really, really poorly written books. And I think, how the heavens did this ever get printed? Like, how did this get past the checking of what's appropriate? You know, and then there are some lovely books, but I've never seen a book that is doing what you're doing. So well done. I'm really excited. I'm going to grab a copy. Yeah. yeah. I think there's some beautiful books out there that show different families, mm-hmm. but they don't talk about how they're made. Yes. Yeah. So- hopefully just solves that little gap as well. And I'd love to get it into daycares and schools. And yeah. like I say, I think the target audience is actually more traditional families so that they can help explain to their children that families are made all sorts of different ways, but every family is perfect no matter yeah. how they're made. So, yeah. Absolutely. And um, I've spoken a bit lately to particular people about getting children involved in social issues and from a, as young age as possible because when they get to a certain point, they're really led by what adults, what sort of beliefs that they hold. So then they put them on their children and they change, you know, the innocence of the, what that child held before that point. Um, so I think it's, yeah, this will be really, really helpful for adults too because it can be a little bit confronting and confusing to know how to refer to people and how they like to be referred to. I think it's the whole thing of my daughter doesn't have a father. Uh-huh. She doesn't have a dad. It's not that they're, he lives in a different house or overseas, although I don't know who he is. It's that she doesn't actually have one. She has a donor. So the more we can normalise that language and that kids just say she doesn't have one, she has a donor, mm. and there's, there's an, an acceptable alternative that they can put in there instead of dad, then hopefully that will help build acceptance out of everyone. So mm. but like you say, the earlier you can get that information into to kids, the better. Yeah, And they'll be like, oh, they've got a donor. Oh, well, this... This family's got two mums. Oh, they had to use a donor as well. Oh, okay. Donors are useful for lots of people, you know? Yeah, yeah. and it just becomes that's just the normal way of speaking. It's not, oh, don't say that or, you know, like this, I don't know. I think it, when I was and I think they're up, growing up. Yeah, they're growing up in such inclusive times anyway that mm. it's not going to be like what it would have been for us in the 90s, you know, if someone didn't have a dad, it would have been very strange. Mm. But now we'll just be like, oh, I just have one. And yeah. it's, it's a really great time to be embarking on this because there's so many different families and I feel like they are all really accepted no matter how much, how they're constructed, yeah. which is great. No, I love it. And no, I good on you. That's fantastic. You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. Now, I want to talk about your identity before you became a mum. So you mentioned before it was really a really positive thing that becoming a mum allowed you to be become who you are sort of thing. How was that experience for you? A really, really positive, positive thing. Really positive. Yeah. So I think when I look back on it, as long as I can remember, all I wanted to do and all that determined success was for me was to get married and have children. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that's come from. If that was just, you know, I grew up in the 90s and watching Beverly Hills 902 and I, I don't know. But as long as I can remember, the most important thing was to find that husband. So I found a husband at, and got married at 28. Turns out he wasn't the best husband for me. And I probably just settled because I wanted to tick those boxes and have the husband, have the white picket fence, everything. I also Mm. wanted the career. And that was kind of what defined me. So once I lost the husband and the big house, um, the only thing that was left was my career. So I started focusing really strongly on that um, Mm. and doing everything possible and usually not in the best ways um, to find the new man and the, the husband number two. I was convinced so in New Zealand, you have to be separated two years before you can get divorced. I was convinced I would be engaged by the time, you know, that I was divorced. Ha! <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think so much of my self-worth and everything else was determined by whether I had a partner or not, which is, in hindsight, very sad. Um, but I even got to the point, I moved to Australia and I contemplated freezing my eggs, but thought, no, what's more important is that I find that other person to share my life with. And if it's meant to be, it will work out. And that was, I think, just probably bearing down the trauma of having to go through infertility for so many years and my stillborn son and the rest of that. Mm. When I made this decision, 
I don't know. When I when I got pregnant, I had quite a bit of anxiety throughout the the pregnancy after, obviously, pregnancy after loss. But once I could start feeling her move and that sort of thing, I relaxed a bit more into it. And I just I just had this overwhelming feeling that it was going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I just had faith from that point that it was going to. And then once it was just me and her, so like I said, it was full pandemic. And um, I think my last seven weeks of work, I was at home. And then yep. my neighbor dropped me at the hospital um, so I could have her stay in the hospital for five nights, came home, and then it was basically just us for the first six months. And it was just a beautiful little bubble. I didn't have to worry about work. I didn't have to worry about proving myself to anyone. I couldn't have visitors. So my house ended up being the tidiest it's ever been. But, you know, it wasn't that pressure because people were here. It was just because I had nothing else to do. Yeah. It was so relaxed. She was a great sleeper and eater. And I don't know, I just I just felt so content in myself and my own little life. And I still feel that way now. I mean, it's a bit bit of a hustle at the moment because I have a full-time job as well as all my side things and her and I want her to experience as much as possible and do things that you know interest her so we're doing swimming lessons and dancing and all of that sort of stuff so it's a pretty busy life Mm -hmm. and the thing that's gone is my social life yeah but I don't need that like I used to I used to fixate on that being a definition of how popular or how liked I was or whatever else and it's like going out to a bar is the least interesting thing possible to me right now. I want to spend it with quality people doing quality things. And ideally that involves my daughter as well. So mm. yeah, life has changed considerably. Um, but no, I love it. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So um, sorry, I keep looking at your cat sitting there. <laughs> Tell me oh, about sorry, your cat. What, what breed is she? She's Burmese and she I had her teeth so. done last week. So she's yeah. go back to the vet today. She's been very quiet since. Normally she just jumps up and down on my desk and cries the whole time. So yeah. at least she's quiet. But, yeah, oh, she's I in a lot of meetings. Hello, darling. Hello, Puss Puss. Oh, I used to have a Burmese and uh, his name was Teddy and he was, oh, Teddy. gosh, she's gorgeous. What's her name? Leo. Oh, hello. Yeah, he was he was a beautiful boy, but he when he came sort of matured he started attacking my other cat that he had living with us an older cat and um we ended up having to find him a new home but she had a lovely home as a single cat he just wasn't the sort of cat that could live with other cats (laughs) well she had a brother um who i lost last year a year ago yeah and then i got the dog and they were not happy about that and the old cat her brother used to beat up the dog so (laughs) when we lost rodrigo now, now Cleo and Lenny like cuddle up together and things, and I think they're protecting each other from the toddler instead. So yeah, it's a little zoo around here. Oh, love it! Uh, it's awesome. A topic that I really like to talk about with mums is the the concept of mum guilt, and I'm wondering what you think about that. If you have any thoughts on that, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't feel like I have much mum guilt, but then I question whether I'm doing a good enough job quite a bit lately. As and I think maybe the mum guilt will come more as she gets older. Yeah. And I think it's if I do not have the downtime to be able to have time to myself and pursue my things, that really starts taking a toll on me. And unfortunately, that can come out on her as well. So, you know, if she's not going to bed till 10.30, my, uh, yeah, <laughs> not my best mumming. I have never felt guilty about going back to full-time work. And mm-hmm. um, my mum and dad both work full-time. What I am very conscious of is that I don't want her to see me working and prioritizing work over here mm-hmm. so going back to work I've had very strong boundaries and I've managed to stick to them so previously before her I would be working sort of 60 to 80 hour weeks sometimes now mm-hmm. you don't get me out of 9 to five thirty. that's it um I think going back to work and working from home for most of it because of the pandemic did help make that transition a lot easier and we have really strong routines that mean that we have some quality time in the morning and we have quality time when I pick her up at night as well and we try to do mm-hmm. the, the same sort of things. So, yeah, I 
don't I think that daycare is actually the best thing for her as well, like being with her little buddies and what she's learning in that social interaction. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel yeah. guilty about that. And yeah, I don't yeah. think I'd be a very good stay-at-home mum anyway. My dream would be that I don't have to work for someone else and that my book and whatever else I pursue can allow me to have sort of an income where I can be there more present, especially when she goes to school and she has those Mm -hmm. shorter days. I would love to be able to drop her off and pick her up each day and take her to whatever activity she's doing and be more involved in her life rather than leave that to someone else. But Mm -hmm. my mum actually moved over here when I had my daughter. Yeah, right. So she lives 10 minutes walk away. So at least if it's not me, it will be be grandma. So I'm very, very lucky for that. But yeah, Yeah. ideal world, by the time she's at school, I'll be able to be even more involved. Mm. But she definitely is the priority when I'm not at work. So you're trying to get that balance between working from home and working in the office makes a big difference as well for trying to have that quality time at home to just focus and do work and do most of my meetings. Like when I go to the office, it's just back-to-back meetings all day. Mm-hmm. but tick all those things off so that my days at home I can just focus and get work done so again and then trying to do so I do the washing during the day and that sort of thing as well yeah, that's always waiting I for us on between meeting. yeah so again when it's my daughter and I it's just quality time it's not doing bullshit chores and that sort of stuff I knew you wouldn't, I, when you were talking about mum guilt, I just had a feeling that that wouldn't be. Well, it doesn't like, feel like it is. No. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I love that. I once had someone, I think I've had two people on who didn't have it and one of them had to Google it because they just didn't even know what it was. And I thought, that is so awesome. That's what we all should be like. <laughs> yeah, well, I think most of it is sending them to daycare, isn't it? But I think that's the best thing for her. She oh, loves look, it. Honestly. I'm not going to feel guilty about that. No, never feel guilty for that because... I've been like I've been in that industry, and it is wonderful. The, the children thrive. The social interaction, what they're learning, and just the, the stuff that they can do there that they could never do at home. You know, it's just and when you pick them up, you get these lovely compliments, and it's like, well, I must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then I think the other thing is by working full time, it means that I can afford the lifestyle that I want to give her. So I'm not going to feel guilty about that either. Mm. No. Yeah. No. No. That's. I awesome. would rather have that. And uh, then struggle and have to worry about, you know, if I had enough food to feed her or pay the bills, I'd rather be able to, you know, go to Fiji. So Yeah. yeah. Yes, that'd be exciting. Have you done much travelling, the two of you? Uh, we went to New Zealand at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that was a trip, not a holiday. It was, it was hard work. New Zealand yeah. is not a great place for toddlers. And I think we probably went too long, but it was really important for mum to go and it helped her solidify that she had made the right decision. So that was good. And it was lovely for me to be able to introduce Lexi to my friends that, you know, I haven't seen in years. But no, next time I want kids club so that I get a holiday too. (laughs) (laughs) So Fiji sounds perfect. And I'm actually going with another solo mum friend that I've met through Instagram. Mm -hmm. One of those people, like, she feels like your bestie, but we've never actually met in real life. But her daughter's similar age. So I think we'll have a really great time together. Oh, lovely. That's exciting. When are you you doing that? In June, so I'm going for my birthday. Which will be oh, nice. lovely! It doesn't and really you... get celebrated anymore, does it? So, oh. and you'll be escaping the Melbourne weather in winter too, which will be lovely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Although it's usually not too bad by those stages. I've could have left it longer to really escape, but oh dear, no, good on you. You got to do these things, don't you? Do you find that um, I don't know? I think people and even families with young kids, regardless of whether there there's one parent or two, can be really reluctant to do things with young kids because they're put off, you know, it's going to be hard or whatever. Like, do you have any advice for for people listening that might feel like that? No, I'm already feeling like it's going to be hard. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm hoping this time, though, she'll be a bit more open to just sitting with the iPad Mm -hmm. on the plane. But the first time it was like, this is all new. I did have to make a big call on it, though. Stupidly, if I went via Sydney, it would save me $1,100. Oh. So I had to really weigh up. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Do yeah. I save it and take nine to ten hours to get there and have to get through like Sydney Airport with a bag and a 
potentially a sleeping toddler because we'll be getting to Melbourne at like 11 o'clock at night or something, or do I just pay the money? And it's like, nah, I'm just going to pay the money. It's just mm-hmm. easier. Just to fly direct. Just get there, hopefully have lounge access if I can wingle that, and then just fly direct and be there, not two flights, staffing around in between and all the rest of it. Because it's the time yeah. at the airport I found was probably the hardest mm-hmm. when we went to New Zealand was coming home she just and it was time of day so it's like if you can get an early flight I think that really helped us or when they're going to likely sleep but yeah there's just no easy way I think to travel with kids so just suck it up and go because it'll be amazing once you're there that's (laughs) That's my theory don't don't let it stop you from doing it just do it (laughs) yeah yeah, and it depends on the kid too like they're so different like my two I've got seven years difference between my two and one you could do so many things with, and the other one you'd just be you'd just be a fool to even try some things with, you know. So it's like you just never know how things are going to work out, do you? Yeah, and you just don't know how much they're going to change in that time as well. I mean, that's six mm. months from now. Yeah, could be true. like a little angel that just wants to sit there, or she could be a complete terror that wants to run around the whole plane. I'm not sure, but <laughs> can't let it put me off booking. So yeah, that's it. Deal with it. Is at a time. Yeah, no, good on you. I think that's really good. A lot of things that I wanted, a lot of trips we want to take, but I just need to wait till she's older. Like I can't wait to take her to Disneyland, but there's no point doing that until she's probably about eight and actually appreciates it properly. Yeah, so. that's it, isn't it? Yeah. So you talked before about needing to do your passion projects like that as your outlet. Is that is that something that you really hold on to as as something that's really important to you and, and part of who you are? I think so. I think previous to Lexi, it was my outlet was sewing and I did a lot of that. Um, when my first year maternity leave, again, I still did a lot of sewing and I was making a, a lot of things for her. But now it's kind of I've got a why since I've had her. Mm. And so I'm so passionate about creating these things and actually having follow through as well. I think I've been someone who's always had a lot of ideas, but just not the courage to back myself to follow through with them. And I want her to see me as someone who does that so that she can be encouraged that if she has ideas, she can just go ahead and go after her dreams as well. And I think maybe it started with my dream was to become a mum, and I had the follow through to have her on my own. So if I can do that, I can do anything. (laughs) Um, and I think getting really clear. So I did some some dream life work through I don't know his Kiki K book or something, and I got oh, yeah. really clear yeah. that I would love, I would love to not have to work for someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it's finding what are those things, and I guess getting over the imposter syndrome a lot of the time as well, yeah. to say you know I can be that person and I can do these things, and that there is worth in what I'm doing. And I think the podcast was the first start. The fact that I have people volunteering, I haven't really had to go out too hard or chase people down and I've got yeah. enough to, I did a full season and I've already got, you know, the first few months of next, of this year done. I just have to edit them. I'm sure <laughs> you put that off too. Um, <laughs> yes. but it's like, well, I can do that and that was successful. I just need to work out a way to monetize it. Mm. And it's like, now I've got an idea for a book. Why not? It's just yeah. understanding the how and just, just do it. No, I'm getting awesome. the networks that will back what I do as well and it's helping them help their kids. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good on you. Love that. It's very inspiring. <laughs> no, I love it. It's it's awesome. Do you have, have you always felt like that throughout your life, or is that something that's happened as you've gotten older? Do you think? I think I've always had ideas, and I've always ideally would work for myself. Mm-hmm. And I've, but I've just never had the courage to do it, and I haven't. Yep. I think been surrounded by the the cheerleaders that I needed to do that, and now. I guess I've got the cheerleaders in the the online community, but it's also I've become my own cheerleader with these yeah. sort of things. Yeah. But it's also who I've met that can help and to actually ask for help. So, you know, talking to um, Nat, who'd already published her book, to understand how she did. And I basically just completely copied exactly what she did. It's just with my illustrations and my words. But, you know, yeah. it's the same size book so that I know that it will fit into a certain size envelope so that I can put it as a large envelope instead of having to pay package, you know, um, postage mm. properly and all yeah. of those sort of things yeah so there's so much to consider invent things when you can just learn from someone who's already done it so yeah um and then doing a few kind of self-development courses as well just mm-hmm. to really 
get clear what what my vision is um, and what why I want the life that I do for Alexi and I. And I think it's because I want it so much for her. But yeah, it just gives me that real drive to to try and create it. I've got it really clearly in my head what it looks like, and I can't wait to to have that with her. But she's going to take some work, so she needs to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's her part in the plan. All she has to do is go to sleep. (laughs) Go to sleep, and we're going to have an amazing life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, how funny. Oh, that's great. Um, So obviously in the future you've you've got the book coming out, which is – so exciting. I'm really excited to get a copy of that actually and to to take it to to my work too. What can you share that's coming up? I would love to actually write my memoir. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, I've started about 50 times. I would, lo- I think that would be really, and I think the ending has changed so much and what the focus would be has changed so much as well. But yeah, it's right. just every, every year it evolves a little bit more and I think I'm probably getting to become one of the best versions of myself at the moment. So mm-hmm. the journey of how I got to that and maybe, Maybe it's just part A. I don't know. Mm. But I'd love to do that. But, again, that's going to take a considerable amount of my child being asleep to to write that. Yeah. Um, I've got other ideas about building a putting more resources and community for other women embarking on this journey and, and to help support them just to kind of have everything in one place, really. Mm. So if you're thinking about it, you can find the information you need, so maybe some online courses and that sort of thing. But, yep. again, for that, it's time and getting over imposter syndrome, I think, is the biggest one for that yep. one. <laughs> I've got the domain name and I've got the Instagram page. I just haven't done anything with it. It's got it coming soon. So Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is oh, um, I hope you do it. Solo, <laughs> mum, solo Mum Society. So Oh, I love it. I've got a cool name. Yeah. I just have to do something with it. Yeah, no, good on you. No, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really love chatting with you and I've learned so much and I'm sure a lot of my listeners have learned a lot too. So thank you for sharing so honestly. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah, and all the best. I'm really excited for you. Good. If you want to learn more, No Need for Prince Charming is the the podcast on my Instagram page. So I share probably way too much on that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, good on you. That's awesome. Thanks again. <laughs> The music you heard featured on today's episode was from Alemjo, which is my new age ambient music trio comprised of myself, my sister Emma Anderson and her husband John. If you'd like to hear more, you can find a link to us in the show notes. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.